0: It is, uh, I'm telling you, it's amazing to me how quickly the roar goes up as soon as Rich says, hey, why don't you, and then, uh, so that's great. No, I love being part of a place that uh, likes to help people know just how welcome they are here, so thanks for doing that. And if this is your first time, by the way, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. Glad that you are here, and if you're watching us online, thanks for joining us there. We do know that before uh, some people will be in this room, they'll watch us online. So if you're checking us out, if you're in the area checking us out, I hope you'll join us here soon. Uh, We're in a series, as Rich mentioned, called Summer Playlist. And we are looking at the book of Psalms. And while we're not looking at all of the 150 Psalms, we are looking at several of them to see what message it is that God has for us. And if you've missed any of them, I hope you'll go to our website and check those out might be helpful to you, but part of what I want to make sure that you get is that the book of Psalms is unlike any other book in the There's no other book in the Bible like it. And I've told you this, what I'm about to tell you a couple of times, so much that my assistant said, are you sure you want to put that in the handout again? And I said, yes, I'm sure I want to put it in the handout because I want people to be able to answer this question before I give them the answer. So if I were to ask you, right, so the first thing on your notes, the book of Psalms is actually a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew what, what, and what? What would you say? Songs, poems, and prayers. Right, songs, poems, and prayers. They come from all different periods uh, of uh, the history of Israelite. So, thank you for knowing it. Uh, by the way, so just for my own curiosity, uh, did anybody have those blanks filled in already? Did anybody already fill those? Anybody just want to make me feel good? Okay, thank you very much, uh, at least for just wanting to make me feel good. Uh, so, and I, I tell you that the reason this is so important that we know this, that we recognize this when we go into the book of Psalms, is we read poems and prayers, and lyrics to music, we read those differently than, say, history, or science, or a Tom Clancy novel. We just read those differently. So here's something else that sets the book of Psalms apart. The Psalms are authored by more than seven different people, actually families and individuals. And so I, I don't. no other book has that uh, identifier either. So here's the spread on that. David, who was the greatest king Israel ever knew, ever knew, wrote 73 of them. So just almost half of them. Asaph, who was uh, him and his sons, were ordained by David to be worship leaders. They wrote 12. The sons of Korah also led in worship. They wrote 11. He-Man wrote one. <laughs> so does anybody else go to, when you say He-Man and the... Masters of the universe, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, me either. Uh, So, uh, but he wrote one of them, Solomon, uh, David's son, king of Israel, uh, who is best known maybe for the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. He wrote two of the Psalms, Moses, who wrote more words in your Bible than anybody else wrote one, the first one, actually. Uh, Ethan the Ezraite wrote one and there are 49 of the Psalms that are not attributed to anyone. We don't know who wrote them. Uh, we may have some guesses on some of them, but, but by and large they're not identified for us. And uh, I just want to make sure you know that about this book that we're looking at. It's authored by a lot of different people and there is a great resource. I want to make this available to you as well. There's a great resource uh, called the Bible Project. And if you, if you search for them online, they have an overview of every book in the Bible. Super helpful. I hope that, that you'll check that out, especially as we look, as we go on through the year, look at other books, other texts in the Bible. You can get a feel for what the overall a message of that book is. But if you have your Bible, today is Psalm 109. So turn to Psalm 109. There are notes on your handout that you might find helpful if you have the U version app. Uh, you might find that helpful as well. Our notes are there with the blanks already filled in. And so when you look at Psalm 109, at the very top of it, it says, for the director of music or to the, to the chief musician. So here's what I tell you that because that tells us it was meant to be sung in worship by the Hebrews, by the Israelites in the temple. And I tell you that because I think it's fair to say that Psalm 109 is a prayer psalm that is not regularly used in worship today. As a matter of fact, it's not anyone's favorite. And my guess is it's a prayer that everyone in this room has wanted to pray at least once in their life. We don't like it, don't hear it in church, but we've probably all muttered it under our breath is what I'm saying. So let's check this out. Let's see what David says. Uh, We're gonna start at the beginning to kind of set the whole psalm up. My God whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They've spoken against me uh, with lying tongues and with words of hatred. They surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Now, I've told you before with each of these psalms, that they all point to an event in the history of the country or to an event in that individual's life. And we're not sure exactly what this is referring to in David's life. There are several events it could point toward. But what we know is that his enemies have attacked him verbally without cause. And so he tried to apply what Paul wrote in Romans 12, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay says the Lord. He tried to apply that, even though it wouldn't be written for several hundred years. Uh, But in return for his kindness, they accused him. So before we get too far into this, I want to make sure you get this underlying theme that's in this psalm. It's in your notes, this principle of life. Bad things happen to God's people. I want to make sure you get that, because sometimes people have this misguided notion that is absolutely false. It is not true. Please hear that. This is not... It is not true to say that once you become a follower of Jesus, all your problems go away. Life is all roses and unicorns and rainbows. That is not what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. Bad things still happen to God's people. It's a reality we need to not ignore. I'm going to give you at least three reasons in general why this happens in our lives. Just very briefly, sometimes Jesus' followers make bad, sinful decisions. And sometimes when we, who are Jesus followers, make a bad decision or a sinful decision, it impacts just our lives. But sometimes it also impacts the lives of people uh, around us. But it's why in 1 John uh, chapter 1, so all the way at the end of the New Testament, 1 John 1 uh, verse 9, chapter 1 verse 9 says, if we, by the way, we is us, he's writing to the church, so if the church confesses our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we will confess, Doesn't listen, there may still be consequences. Forgiveness, instant. Consequences may go on. You may have to deal with them as an individual. Your family may have to. Other people may have been impacted by them. Number two, the second reason is non-Jesus following people make decisions that affect our lives. And sometimes it happens innocently and other times maliciously. The mistake we make in the church sometimes is we expect people who do not follow Jesus, we for some reason expect them to act like they do. We expect them to have the same values, make the same decisions for the same reasons that we make them, and they do not. We need to not expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. Just want to make sure our heads are all on straight with that. Here's the third. We live in a fallen world, so sin, disease. Cancer, people who voted for me to kiss the goat last week. I mean, all of that happens, right, in our world. And we're not really going to dwell on that any longer. I just want to make sure you had that. Today, we just need to acknowledge that bad things do happen to God's people. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis wrote this, try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existence of free wills necessitate, and you will find that you have excluded life itself. We know, listen, all of us, we know that pain exists. Most of us encounter it to at least some extent every day of our lives. We have these smaller things that happen that don't really rattle our cage, like getting sick or, or maybe breaking a bone or running out of coffee, the, just the little things in life that aren't that big of a But there are other things that are bigger that can derail you. They can blow your life up. It will look differently on the other side of it than it does on this side of it. Slander, injustice, that diagnosis you've been dreading, death of a child, rape, assault, abuse, neglect, children losing a parent, parents whose dream of a life together forever is shattered. Those are realities in our life. And listen, here's what I know. Everyone in this room has either experienced that or we have someone close to us who has. It's, it's reality in life. And those are the kind of things that can make us angry and quite frankly they should because there are things in this world that break god's heart they ought to break our heart as well and you can't live long in the world without encountering these things that make you angry to your core the question is what do we do with those things when we are just rattled by something that happens in life what do we do how does this fit into our faith i have a friend who right now is is angry Oh, man, are they angry. (laughs) And if what happened to them happened to you, you would be angry as well. And and they are so angry, they don't want to be not angry. You ever been there? You're just so mad about something. You don't want to not be mad. And I said, you need to ask God to help you with that. And they said, I don't want help with that. I like feeling angry about this. Do you know that? feeling. Last year, Sandy and I were able to hear our son Joshua, who is a youth minister here in Dayton. We were able to hear him speak. We don't always get to do that because I work on Sunday mornings sometimes, but uh, we were able to be in worship with him and hear him speak, and he actually spoke on this psalm a year ago, and uh, and so he said something that I wanted to share with you. Actually, I've quoted him in your handout, and I'm going to show him that too, but uh, he said, He said, when I look around at modern Christianity, I'm afraid that for most of us, our faith is not big enough to deal with this level of raw human emotion. But this passage brings to light a very real aspect of human experience, and that is the spectrum of pain and anger and vindictiveness. Because it happens, what do we do with it? And I want to make sure you get this as well, and this may make it worse, but sometimes God is silent. It's verse one, David is pouring out his heart to God and God is not responding. Again, I just say that to acknowledge, you've experienced that. I have experienced that. We are crying out to God because something has happened in our life and, and it seems as if he is silent. As far as we can tell, nothing is happening in heaven. So what do you do? That's what this psalm is all about. Uh, it's, and it's not ignoring the reality of pain, uh, but it's showing us how David handled it. And I just want to say, right, right off top, he may not have handled it the best. This may not be the right way to handle it, but it is how he handled it, and we're, so we're going to take a look at this and what we can learn from this. Professor, Professor Donald Whitney said, The psalms are unique in that they are prayers given to us by God to be returned to him. So this psalm is something that God is giving to us so that we can give it right back to uh, him. Walter Brueggemann said, This psalm shows that Israel understood where humanity meets divinity, where reality meets eternity, where earth meets heaven. So when earth met heaven, here is what, how David expressed himself. This, this is a prayer. This is David's prayer. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tired, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him condemn him may his days be few may another take his place of leadership may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow and may his children be wandering beggars may they be driven from their ruined homes may a creditor seize all he has may strangers plunder the fruits of his labor may no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children may his descendants be cut off their names blotted out from the next generation and may the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the lord may the sin of his mother never be blotted out May their sins always remain before the Lord, that He may blot out their name from the earth. For He never thought of doing a kindness. He hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. May it come back on Him. He found no pleasure in blessing, so may it be far from Him. He wore cursing as His garment. It entered into His body like water, into His bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped around Him, like a belt tied. Forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. So I just want to say that this is one of those, so that's really in the Bible, kind of passages. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I want to make sure that you know, it is in the Bible. This passage is one of what we call the imprecatory pra- psalms. If you've not heard of them, it's probably because this is not what you're going to read to your children before they go to bed at night, right? That's not what this is. <laughs> imprecatory psalms contained within the book of psalms are those that invoke judgment, calamity, or curses upon someone, on your enemies, or those perceived as the enemies of God. That verb imprecate Literally means, pray against evil or invoke a curse upon. And there are 14 psalms like this in the book of Psalms. And you may not be, those may not be the ones that spring to your mind. But look at some of them. Chapter 5, or Psalm 5 says, let their plans fall apart and bring them down. Chapter 10, break the arm of the wicked. Chapter 35, fight against my enemies with a spear and javelin. The Good News translation says, with a spear and a war axe. Wow. Wow. The message version is the best. Harass those hecklers, God. Punch these bullies in the nose. (laughs) Grab a weapon, anything you can find. Uh, Chapter 58, break the teeth in their mouths. Chapter 59, consume them until they are no more. I love chapter 83. This may be my life verse. Make them like poop on the ground. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Chapter 129, let them wither like grass, uh, grass. And maybe the most egregious. And it's going to shock you is this one. Psalm 137, bless those who bash their children against the rocks. Listen, this is not the most politically correct part of our scriptures. And to be sure, I want to make sure you get this. When Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, this isn't the one he taught them. All right? In the awfulness of the moment, though, what I want to make sure we get is that our pain ought to drive us to God. Our pain ought to drive us to Him. Again, C.S. Lewis, this should be in your notes, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our pain. It's His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And this is exactly what's happening in this psalm. Verses 6 to 20 has some of, has the, you know, it's just that yucky language, right? That that makes us think, well, then there's that, right? In the Bible, you know what I'm talking about when people respond this way? But David bookends this psalm by crying out to God. And in verse 4, David says, in return for my friendship, they accuse me. But you notice what he says? I am a man of prayer. David is taking his pain to God in prayer, so on your notes, if you're filling those in, our response to pain needs to be prayer, which, by the way, I'm not talking about some complicated formula, but the simple reality is that prayer is entering into the presence of God. That's what prayer is. It's when you come into his presence, and David's, David prays here. He's taking his pain and bringing it into the presence of God but it's actually a little more telling than that the Hebrew actually says I am prayer most literally I prayer which reveals a state of being rather than an action this isn't an, an action an isolated act David is doing something deeper than simply praying please God help the bad people stop you know being bad or be less bad or something David is saying that his very being is prayer in this moment, similar to what Paul would write in the New Testament to the church at Thessalonica when he said, pray continually. What David is doing, what Paul is saying, is that we are to live a life fully present before God, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so men, it's like when we were dating our soon-to-be wives, listen, guys, we all know we can be the best versions of ourselves for a few hours, right? Uh, and then you put a gap of time where we can go back to being ourselves, and then another date, we got to be good again. We know that. Uh, I even remember being with Sandy and her family over holidays, and I found that I can string hours of being good together for for a couple of days, if, if necessary. But once your bride moves in, you can no longer hide the fact that you leave the toilet seat up. Always. You never put it down, right? The dishes are always in the sink for some reason you don't know that the dishwasher is one foot over and two feet down you can't figure that out for some reason or that your clothes don't belong in the middle of the floor but if this honesty, it's this honesty and this vulnerability that allows right guys our new brides to fix us and clean us up i mean that is the honesty in the same way david's prayer he's not hiding this part of his life Rather, what he's doing is he's bringing it fully into the presence of God. And what we tend to do, and I'm assuming we because I do this, is we tend to hide these parts of our lives from God because surely he doesn't want to know about them. Because surely he doesn't need to see this. He doesn't. He wants our church to look like the Bible. He wants our lives to look not like what they look like. And maybe nobody has ever told you this before. But yes, he does. He does want you to bring this before him. He wants the yucky parts of your life because it's not until we bring our pain and our anger that they can be redeemed. If we hold on to them or pretend to hide them from God, they are only going to continue to hurt your heart and my heart. So look back at what you filled in. There was a blank left, and that's the word honest. Our response to pain needs to be honest prayer with God. This, this is what we were made for. To say that I am prayer is to make our lives what they were meant to be, fully bared before God. Listen, this is the first thing we learn in the Bible almost. You go all the way back to the beginning in the garden, Genesis chapter 2, and we read that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's not merely a statement on nudity. It's a comment on our vulnerability and honesty before God. We were made to hide nothing from God. And then they sinned. And worse than that, what did they do? The moment they sinned, then what did they do? God came looking for them and they they hid. They tried to hide it. And my guess is you do that too. And I'm guessing that because sometimes foolishly, I try to do that. As if God can't see what we've been up to. right? As if he can't read our thoughts as if he doesn't know the motives of our heart like scripture says he does. To be like David and say, I am prayer is to be fully aware of God's presence in all of our life. Augustine said it this way, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. But in our honesty, listen, we have to admit to ourselves and to God, that what we want may not be what he has in mind. And quite frankly, I don't care right now. I don't care that I don't want what you want. We know we need to care more about what God wants than what we want, but at the moment, I just don't care. And in part, it's because we know the truth of what Martin Luther King Jr. said. We know we need to move that direction because darkness, right? Have Have you heard that he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. We know that instinctively. But sometimes in the moment, that's not where we are and we need to be honest. And while I believe it's best to be honest with God with where we are, what we need to do, what I think is best is we need to get around to uh, asking God when we're in our pain, knowing that we need to ask him for his best for me, for us, which may not be what David asked for. And it may not be what you asked for initially. But as Rich mentioned a moment ago, we need to be honest. It needs to to be what we want to get to. It's not where we are and we don't want it right now, but we know it's where we need to get to. My friend that I mentioned earlier, who is angry and doesn't want to not be angry, right? Uh, I told them, you need to talk to God to help you with that. And they said, I don't want help with that. I want to be angry. I like feeling this. I said, I know that it feels good, but it's hurting your heart, so be honest with God. If you don't ask God to help you with this, if you you don't want to ask God to help you with this, ask him to help you want to want to ask him to help you with this. If you don't want to ask him for help, ask him to help you want to want to ask him for help so that you can get there. And maybe that's where you are this morning too. You you don't even want to. And even now you're not convinced and that's okay. Be honest with God about where you are, but also know he wants wants more for you. And what you're going to find out, and Mm -hmm. I know it's hard to believe right now if you're really angry, if you're in that place where you don't want to, what you're gonna find out, is that what he wants for you is better than what you want for you. Every time, all the time. So to lead each of us to the next step, wherever you are, our praise team is gonna come out and lead us in a song called, Lord, I Need You. And you're about to sing these words. Lord, I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. And if that is you today, it is my prayer that you allow the Holy Spirit to stir your heart, to be honest with Him. And As you are being honest with Him, as you are able to move through that a little bit, to get to where you can ask him for what he wants for you in your life so I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing God we are grateful that you love us you don't you don't want us to pretend you don't ask us to hide part of our life behind a bible or a song or a prayer you want our life the way it really is lived out honestly before you and there are parts of our lives, quite honestly, God, that are embarrassing, that, that, that you can't possibly, you can't possibly want to see this part of our life, and yet, Father, you've created us. Dad, you have created us for this. You're our dad want us to live our life fully before you because you love us, all of us, even the difficult parts of our lives that we struggle so much with, you love us. And so help us as we sing that this song would become a prayer that we live out just sing, not just say, but that we live out in our lives before you. Thank you for loving us, and we pray this in Jesus' name.
1: uh uh-huh.
2: is Christ in me
0: Josh shared this psalm last year, he ended uh, by reading from Lamentations 3, so I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close with this reading uh, and with a prayer. He shared it in the message version, and uh, so I want to share it with you that way as well. I'll never forget the trouble the utter lostness, the taste of ashes the poison I've swallowed, I remember it all, oh how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom but there's one other thing I remember, and remembering I keep a grip on hope God's loyal love couldn't have run out, his merciful love couldn't have dried up because they're created new every morning how great is your faithfulness so I'm sticking with God and I'll say it again He's all I've got left. God proves to be good to the man who passionately waits, to the woman who diligently seeks. It's a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. So whatever it is you have going on in your life right now, whatever pain and sorrow that you are experiencing, whatever anger you feel, whatever fear is crippling you right now, whatever joy you are delighting in, Take that to God. Take to God what is real in your world right now. Make your life a prayer. Be fully honest and fully present with your dad. Man, I meant to put this in your notes. And I missed that opportunity. But I want to make sure you hear this. God loves all of who he created you to be. He loves all of who he created you to be. And there are some in this room who have never heard that. And you struggle with it because you know some of what you're going through, and it does not read like the parts of the Bible you've heard. My guess is it maybe reads a little bit more like what you heard today is still hard to believe. God loves ourselves and there's a family in our, in our family here who is suffering a loss one of the great ladies of our church uh, passed away this past week she's 90 years old she's one of those ladies who helped get us moving in the right direction around here and so her services are this week and uh, we're going to pray for Barb Preston who has passed and for her family uh, as part of our prayer so God thank you for loving who we are. Not loving the idea of who we can be or loving who you wish we were, but loving who we are. And God, we know that while you want us to be exactly who we are, no pretending, no fake out, Us to be real in front of you. God, may we be. And in that realness, may we also admit to ourselves that we know you have something for us. If where we are, we know isn't right, we know you've got someplace for us that is, and that you will help us get there because you love us. So God, may we accept that love. God, we're so grateful. We we think of Barb who has passed this week. But we know as heavy as hearts can be over the loss of a mom, of a friend, of a grandma, what we also know is that she gets to be with you and that we get to see her again. So God, thank you for using her and Bill and their family to help us move closer to you. church that helps people move closer to you and being real in our community and living out our faith not just going to church but actually living out our faith thank you may we pass that heritage on may we be a light for you in this community we pray this through your son jesus amen thank you for being here today And I hope this has helped you to be honest before God and to live that out. Your friends need to see that just as much as you need it. And if you need to talk to someone, you want to pray with someone, I'll be right down here uh, uh, as, as you leave. So thank you for being here. Have a great week.